This is Shavuot Unbound, mini-episode 3. What's the deal with the dairy? We're here for the third episode of our little deep dive into Shavuot, and we've come to this sort of strange question of why it's traditional to eat dairy foods on Shavuot. You know, I think a lot of people like cheesecake. I'm, wanna, I'm in the minority that doesn't really like cheesecake, so I've always kind of seen it as a little bit of a... Excommunication. Of a, yeah. You are kicked out. So I'm, I'm interested in exploring you. this question because it's uh, not always been you know, my favorite part of the holiday. I know it's one of your favorites. Yeah, I like cheesecake. I always associated it with Thanksgiving. My mom always made chocolate cheesecake on Thanksgiving that I would ravenously consume like half the whole thing. But yeah, it's pretty awesome that we eat cheesecake on Shavuot too. And honestly, I don't even disrespect it to cheesecake at this point. Last year, Valerie, my fiance, and I got an ice cream cake and then we went over to the little section where they, they can like draw a little text on it and we had them write like happy Shavuot on it. So we had an ice cream cake. It works too. And so this commemorates the fact that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, the Israelites were eating cheesecake, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 100%. That's said so right there, you know, and God preordained cheesecake for the Jews. Yeah. No, but seriously, why uh, why do we have dairy on Shavuot? The funny answer to that question is that there are a million and a half different answers. And uh, I mean, I remember asking for the first time, probably in college, I didn't really celebrate Shavuot before that. But um, I remember asking and almost every rabbi who I would ask would be like, well, there's a bunch of different answers and we don't really know, but it's fun and we're up late at night. So, like maybe it helps keep us awake. Um, But nobody really had a satisfying answer. And I actually, I occasionally have some that I can cite, but I'm curious to hear from you, Dan, because I know you you have more of these at your fingertips. Among the answers that are out there, uh, some of the interesting ones are that the word for milk in Hebrew, chalav, uh, there's a system of giving each Hebrew word a numerical equivalent uh, so that the first letter, aleph, is one, the second letter, bet, is two. And the word chalav, if you add up the numbers, it adds up to 40, which corresponds with the 40 days that Moses was at the top of Mount Sinai, right? So that's one of them. Uh, so there's another one that Mount Sinai in the book of Psalms is referred to as Har HaGavnunim, which means oh, the Gvina. mountain of many peaks, right? But um, Gavnun sort of sounds like Gvina, which uh, is the Hebrew word for cheese. So that's another one. There's a verse in the book of Numbers, Numbers 28, verse 26, that talks about the meal offering for Shavuot and the words, the, there are four words that describe this this meal offering. And the if you take the first letter of each of those four words, you get the Hebrew mechalav, which means from milk. So, you know, that. So there's all kinds of, of, of these types of um, explanations, you know, these kind of quasi-mystical sort of numerological explanations. I mean, there's, you know, the whole idea, of course, that the land in the Torah, right, we receive the Torah and the land of Israel in the Torah is described as a land flowing with milk and honey, so we should have milk. Now, why it's not traditional to have honey on uh, Shavuot <laughs> in most communities becomes unclear if we accept that explanation. So there, there are a variety of those kinds of traditional explanations. There's also, you know, a more sociological explanation that I've heard, which is that this is a holiday of the springtime, and the springtime is when new calves and new baby animals of various kinds are born, and so it would be a time that there would be plentiful milk, 
Um, you know, and, and so there would just be a lot of milk around. And so it makes sense to have a holiday that milk was a major part of. Um, you know, there, there are some explanations that talk about, well, before the Israelites received the Torah, right, they, they wouldn't have known the laws of keeping kosher because they're only, they only found out about them from the Torah, right? And the, and the concern was that when they received the Torah, all of a sudden they discovered that they weren't doing it right. You know, they didn't have the right dishes. They didn't slaughter the animals the right way. And it was a very confusing situation. And so until they sorted it all out and figured everything out, it was safer to have a dairy meal, you know? So that, that's actually a big one that I've, I've heard many, you know, a lot talked about. The bottom line of all these explanations, I think, is that uh, nobody has a clue. Yep. And that's that's the best way for it to be. Um, we don't know. We have no clue. And and the, and I almost feel like all of these explanations are. I mean, this didn't happen, but it could have. Like it's as if a bunch of rabbis or you know Jews or somebody were gathered were gathered in a room and playing like an improv game. It's like on that show, whose line is it anyway? They would give you you know, one prop and you have 10 seconds and you have to come up with some way to use that prop for something in the improv game. And like you go back and forth between the two teams and whoever can't think of something first loses. And I feel almost like this milk thing is just the right level of weird that it lends itself to all these bizarre, fun, interesting mind games um, that that add, that do actually add meaning and deepen learning associated with the holiday. It's not, I mean, I like that we have all of these, you know, there's all these fascinating things that come to light through what are admittedly ridiculous explanations for why this would come to be. And I think you're right that the sociological one probably holds the most water in terms of actually looking at the historical origins of this ritual. But like, I love that we have all of them. And what I also want to encourage is for all of us to say, you know what, we're part of the game. Like we're in the improv game. And it's not that these are the six and we can choose our favorite of the six and tell it to our friends when they ask. It's that what if we come up with six of our own um, and and then see if any of those stick in a hundred years? Because um, why not? These explanations are generally laughable. Like they are so absurd that <laughs> we literally have a hard time not laughing as we are reading them or recalling them. And that makes me think like a lot of the other explanations of other Jewish practices are similarly erroneous. They're just not laughable, right? Like there, there's, and, and, and I think it's important for people to understand that if you probe at a lot of the Jewish laws and customs that are out there, they're often justified through post hoc justifications that are actually just make a little bit more sense than this one. So this one, in a way, is actually a really helpful uh, almost decoder ring, you know, in the sense that if we understand that there were these strained and ultimately failed efforts to explain this longstanding cultural practice of having dairy uh, on this holiday, and that they were trying to hook onto all kinds of other reasons as if like those were the reasons that this practice flowed out of. And clearly that's not the case. Well, that's also true for a lot of things that we find more acceptable. So a lot of times, you know, I hear people asking, well, why is such and such the tradition? And someone will explain to them, ah, such and such is the tradition because, you know, of this verse or whatever. But it's actually not the case. It's the it's the tradition because it was the tradition. And then somebody later came, came around and found some link to a verse. I mean, that's not always the case, but 
that's often the case, and it's worth probing at. And and I love the idea that this is the holiday that every year we kind of um, reenact the giving of the Torah. So actually, one of the pieces that we should be reenacting is the post hoc justifications for things and realizing that, <laughs> hey, let's make some new post hoc justifications for things that are more meaningful if, if these ones don't don't quite work. It brings me back to our conversation actually with Yehuda Kurtzer about history and memory, because the important takeaway from this isn't, oh my gosh, all these explanations for all these rituals are wrong and we've been mistaught and like that's terrible and Judaism's a farce. Like some of it's a farce. We we laughed. We think it's funny. But like the fact of human origins or creative explanations for why we do certain things, once you do them enough, you fake it till you make it. And that's sort of the real memory. And it's important to note that that doesn't trace to some metaphysical divine, you know, ancient eternal things. This dairy ritual, I think it's important to know that the that the explanations we come up with aren't the correct explanations, but still you putting your own ideas onto the, onto the table, even if they're farcical, that creates a kind of tradition that maybe can become your family's real capital T tradition or maybe a, a bigger and broader Jewish tradition. I'll throw out a couple. I mean, I think that, um, you know, just as many Jews are lactose intolerant, that, you know, it's interesting to think about a holiday in which we would uh, intentionally subject ourselves to consuming a <laughs> lot of lactose with all the ill effects. And maybe that helps us stay up all night to study. You know, I was thinking about how milk is the way that we consume nutrients when we are babies and and we're not, you know, fully able to fend for ourselves. Perhaps this holiday renews us every year so that we're like new babies, you know, um, you know and, and we're starting over and we're really thinking uh, from first principles. And so this would be a great way to reenact it. But I mean, like, that's the point. I, I think that there's all sorts of both farcical and actually serious ways that we can really explore an idea like this. But I, I wanted to suggest one other point that comes out of this, which is that sometimes I, it's sort of like Freud said, you know, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, you know, um, that sometimes uh, it's just okay for things not to have meaning and for things just to be these traditional practices, you know, and, and so I, I find myself torn when I look at the question of dairy on Shavuot, because part of me wants to find a real deep meaning in it. Part of me wants to enjoy the farce of it and to use it as a way to point out how Actually, it's sort of something that proves something about a lot of Judaism and that a lot of the meanings are, are kind of spurious. And part of me says, like, you know, sometimes it's just great to say, hey, this is a fun, amazing thing that we do. So when there's a Jewish practice that really gets in in the way that's really we, we think is is wrong or cruel or something like that we should probe very hard. And if it doesn't have a good reason, we should probably stop practicing it. But when there's a practice that, especially for people like you who love cheesecake, is so wonderful and such a highlight of the year, you know, do we really need to have an explanation? Or could we just say, like, this is an amazing thing that we do every year and it's part of the fun of being Jewish? Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. And sometimes we have funky outside-the-box rituals because we have funky outside-the-box rituals and that's part of the fun. I think this issue is one of the best parts of Shavuot and the fact of, you know, not having the answer is part of what makes it great. So, uh, we just want to close out this mini episode now, uh, with a few plugs. One is that we love being in touch with you and you can, we're not going to say all the different ways like on our, on our normal episodes, but you can do so at our email addresses, dan at nextjewishfuture.org and lex at nextjewishfuture.org. And, uh, we also want to encourage people to check out our Shavuot Unbound 
initiative online, which has all sorts of different ways for you to engage with Jewish ideas and both ancient ways and contemporary ways. And you can check that out on our website, JudaismUnbound.com. During Shavuot, it will be the homepage. And also, uh, we just wanted to let you know that if this is the first of our many episodes for Shavuot you checked out, there are two that preceded it. Episode one on the the past of Shavuot, the different ways that Shavuot's manifested in history. And episode two, which looks at Shavuot today and possibilities for it in the future. And episode four, which comes directly after this, we hope you'll check out too. And that is on the Book of Ruth, which traditionally is associated with this holiday. So thanks so much for listening. And with that, this has been Shavuot Unbound.